today we have Eli Kaufman. He's the new LA County Bicycle Coalition Executive Director. He's going to talk about the problems that he discovered when he took over not long ago and the new start, their challenges, and also they want to tell us about this meeting, Which Way LACBC, that they're going to have Saturday, July 27th, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. at their downtown LA headquarters, 634 South Spring Street. They're going to talk about what they're doing right, how they can improve, and where they should focus their efforts in 2020 and beyond. So if you're interested in bike advocacy in LA, you should listen to this and then go to the forum on Saturday. Here's Eli. What do you attribute your getting into biking to? I come through it as a parent. My son and I were just looking for safer, easier places to ride our bikes. We live in mid-city, and so there's just not a lot of um, access to safe routes really anywhere. And so heard about the L.A. River ride. It was the right time of year, right after school let out. And and he was a new rider, so I, I liked the idea of a non-motorized path. And that was also supported with bike marshals, and it just sounded like a great thing. And we've never missed a ride since. It's 2016 or 2015 was our first ride. And, and uh, actually now he's 11 and did the ride by himself because he's old enough now while I was working the event as the new ED. So the first time you did it, you were already with LACPC? No, I wasn't. I was a, I was a member, but I wasn't. Uh, I started uh, working at LACPC in 2019, just at the beginning of this year. I was a member and a sometime volunteer back then. So he did the, the kids ride? Yeah, we went right to the 15 mile. He was just off of training wheels, so it was epic for him, leaving the Autry and going down to the turnaround. The, the circular, uh, the, where all those bridges sort of intersect, that circular space, and I'm blanking on what it's called, but it's not far from here anyways, uh, was just, yeah, it was, it was, um, it seemed like an epic journey, and he cried a little bit and was you know had heat exhaustion yeah and now he does that distance without really uh, even noticing wants to go further which is really fun which is neat about a ride like the LA River ride is that if you go back year after year you can see your fitness and your resilience grow and especially with a kid you know kids really they take these massive leaps forward in their their abilities and so it's been a fun measuring stick to see how much stronger he's getting over time. So I think I was there. I think I was there. I mean, I know I was there. It was Jim Shanman's uh, skills for kids section. I was volunteering because I just got certified in uh, LCI and Metro Best, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the, the Walk and Rollers program is awesome. And actually, Asa did the program as a little kid. Um, and so I guess we must have done the two mile the first year, now that I'm remembering. But but just to have supportive uh folks who are not your dad mm-hmm. <laughs> helping you to get confident on a bike is a really is a really great service i mean i, I, I think there should, must be a documentary that's that should be made about uh, parents struggling to get their kids on two wheels because of all the dynamics of parenthood tied into uh you know um not wanting to push your kids too too hard mm-hmm. at the same time that um that it does take this leap of faith and and having a a skilled LCI type trainer who can um, who can address those fears and be firm and fair and friendly to a kid um, without all that baggage is just such a such an amazing thing and so yeah I, I wish I could say that I actually I take that back I'm really glad that that we did that that program because it, it just it took all the 
emotion out of it and it really became more about um, helping him put it together so that he could put his balance together with his writing and and, uh, and then he was all too proud to share what he had learned with me so um, the bike programs for kids then LACBC that's is that one would you say that's one of your priorities ah, right into it so yeah I mean uh, I think that Jim does a great job with walk and rollers and, and there are other programs out there. Um, and I've attended a number of the Metro Best classes and rides. And I always think to myself, you know, I wish that there was more for kids um, because some of those, so those trainings are, are somewhat technical. Although Metro Best class one is pretty accessible, I think, to kids as young as eight or nine could probably sit through that class and, and, and really get something out of it. Um, but yeah, I think we have to we have to hit the next generation. We have to uh, make the proper invitation and provide the right curriculum, scope and sequence, so that they feel like they can uh, that they that it captures their meets them at their level of preparedness. I guess is the best way of putting it. Um, and uh, so yeah, it's an absolute priority, and it's something that I hope we get a chance to do more of. So then, right now, uh, speaking of priorities, is it just survival mode? Yeah, so um, as we've, you know, so I started in January and uh, right out of the box, after taking a close look at the budget, it was clear that um, that we were in such a budget shortfall that we had to make some hard choices right away. And so, um, and I'll just own right out of the box that I also uh, am a first-time ED, first-time executive director. Um, it's been a steep learning curve. I've made some mistakes, and I've uh, I've uh, I've learned a lot, and uh, and so oh, I'll get into the mistakes later. But let me answer your question, which is that I the one mistake I didn't make, I don't think, was to recognize that the budget was in really bad condition, and that it, it, we needed to like figure some quick moves out in order to just stay around. You found, did you find that out? Was that your discovery, or was it how was it brought to your attention? Yeah, it just. Um, as soon as I got my hands on the complete budget and started to look at it and um, had my first finance committee meeting, it was clear that we just couldn't afford, uh, well, nearly any, the the staff that was there, in fact, um, they really couldn't afford me as a new executive director. And so, um, and so uh, it was a series of really hard conversations with the board around, hey, if we don't make some changes fast, LACBC is going to cease to exist. Um, since then, uh, you know, we've had to, I don't know what the right terminology is. Some people say downsize, some say, some people say right size, but we've had to shift the size of the organization down to be leaner and, um, uh, you know, almost to a point beneath critical mass, I would say. So we were nine when I started. Now we are four, including me. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just math. You look at the budget you see what the payroll is. You see what the expenses are to keep the lights on. And, and you just sort of add that up and you realize, wow, we are, not only are we currently in a, in a, in a state where we don't have enough, uh, in the bank, but we don't have enough in the pipeline either to sustain where we were. And so I guess it was within the first six or seven weeks that I had to start talking to the staff about, um, the fact that we needed to make some changes. So, how did they not, did they not know this? No, I think they were aware, um, as you may, as your listeners may know, I mean, there was um, back to back to back, and then including me back for 
EDs within the time of about two years and change. And so um, that really uh, had a lot of, well, basically what that did is it, it, it made it made it next impossible to fundraise because foundations and major donors and membership, um, some of our major revenue sources sort of stepped back because they weren't sure what the priorities of the organization were going to be. Um, with Tamika Butler, who was the last permanent ED, who, who or permanent, what a word, but the last sort of um, full-time ED, I guess, um, who had more than a year's run, you know, her, her work was, was very much um, about professionalizing the organization uh, and about uh, focusing on uh, social justice equity in particular um, and put together the first budget that the organization had ever had in 20 years. Mm. Um, so that was back in 2016. So uh, board approved budget, that is, mm. um, was the first person to put together a formal staff handbook, didn't exist before her time. And so she really, you know, a lot of credit goes to her for just starting to professionalize the organization. You know, and I met Tamika in a, um, in a, uh, a leadership workshop right when she was starting. And so we became friends. And I remember hearing her talk about, wow, you know, it's amazing. This place has been around for as long as it has. And it's it, it just lacking these basic mechanisms to keep it going, which I think at the time gave her some pause, but also it was an encouraging thought that even without being a fully formed, like mature organization, it had persisted as long as it had, because it, it mattered, it matters. And it mattered then anyway. Um, then there was a two quick ED ships that lasted just long enough for, for nothing, for traction to be hard to be, uh, I don't know. How it? Let me see if I can take that back. So just there's, there were two EDs back to back that were not um, there long enough to really uh, turn things around, but but there were there long enough to actually allow momentum to to dissipate more. So by the time I came on the scene, it, there there had been this. Um, Why they come and go like that? There's uh, well, Tamika Tamika I think was interested in uh in pursuing her values in a in a different context mm -hmm. with the LA Neighborhood Land Trust and that was an opportunity that she wanted to take advantage of. There was also um there was also I think a challenge to the bringing the entire uh, community uh around to where she wanted to go. Um and so I think you know after two and a half years of really pushing hard and um, really putting LACBC on the map, it was time for her to, to, to try something else. Um, with Eric Jansen, um, I mean, his wife got a position in Australia, but I think the, the unfortunate thing was uh, there just, there was the lack of um, coherence in terms of, of what he was trying to get done, and um, he didn't manage things as well as he could have. I guess that's the, the first time I'm coming out and saying that. Um, things were allowed to hit our budget that really never should have hit our budget in terms of projects that were not awarded. Um, there was, um, yeah, there was a lack of oversight uh, from the board. Um, 
and uh, and so the organization was allowed to essentially wither I think using that almost like a technical term without the right kind of support and oversight um, and then when when it was time when he left and once again it was an abrupt departure they brought in an interim ED Janet Schulman who I think uh, had every good intention to help professionalize and uh, stabilize the organization. Um, and she, you know, had inherited a, kind of a mess and also was not really um, in the community at all. Um, so I think she did the best she could um, to heal some of the wounds that were created by the turnover in the previous ED ship. Um, and, you know, I think that's that's, um, but she was also there for a while. So once again, foundations and donors and supporters of the organization um, really wanted to wait and see what was going to happen. Um, and so, yeah, that's sort of that's that's where we are today. Is you have yet another new ED in, in me. I'm similar to Janet in that I'm I'm not a long long term person in the bicycle movement or in the advocacy movement, although I spent uh, the better part of the last 10 years working in nonprofits in Los Angeles, so I feel like I know the space. Um, and, uh, and like I said earlier on, uh, you know, the learning curve has been steep and, uh, and it's, been a, it's, been a, it's been a bit of a challenge. Well, uh, yeah. So what is your skill set, would you say? What is my skill set? What a great question. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think... So I come from a long line of teachers and communicators, uh, communication professionals. Um, and I studied um, filmmaking at UCLA. I was in their MFA program and um, did some work immediately after grad school in uh, campaign and message making for uh, various uh, for various groups and um, so I think if I were to sort of define my skill set I'm I'm a communicator um, I'm an educator um, I also was a teacher as I mentioned to you on the phone earlier um, I taught eighth grade for four years um, so I'm sort of a I, 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 I would say I've got a, a series of skills that sort of have to do with uh, community building and educa education and uh, and then more recently as I spent time more time in the nonprofit world I, I you know was given more responsibility and became uh, a director level communications and programming officer um, at River LA and uh, and it was through that experience that I really started to understand um, what kind of leadership I wanted to be a part of. And so I did this uh, program called Courage to Lead, which was an 18-month leadership workshop, just really interested in what it would take to be a nonprofit leader, and um, found out that a lot of what I've been trying to become as a person um, had to do with building a culture that, um, that was really focused on delivering a, a mission. Um, and so when the opportunity at LACBC came up, as I mentioned, I'm a first-time executive director, um, I just threw my hat in the ring and, and, and gave it a shot. So yeah, um, I would say 
my qualifications on paper uh, would lean towards being more of a communications officer um, than a um, an executive director. But um, I feel like, you know, there's no real training or grad program that's going to get you prepared for this type of work. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm grateful to have the opportunity. And I feel like um, if we're able to sustain ourselves and kind of regain the trust of the community, um, I imagine that we can do some really, really awesome things together. So I'm, I'm really, I'm hopeful that that that's the case. So I, well, I want to talk about the trust of the community because I did sort of give you a, I, the, uh, something that I've been thinking about is that there have been people who feel like LECBC can't make significant change as long as it's uh, as you know as Colin first put it professionalized so professionalized you know uh, and working with LADOT and working with Metro and working with I don't know who else it's like you can't stand up to people like Gil Cedillo you know uh, if you're you know drinking from the same uh, trough <laughs> I, so, yeah. What do you think about that? But then you said, and you said something about uh, invitations and you're, and not fighting, and uh, maybe you could explain that philosophy. Um, I was looking for inspiration among my books. Oh, sure. So I was like, "What's over there?" <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, I, I think that. Um, I think that so. So the critique that you're talking about that's been leveled against LACBC is that it doesn't have the teeth uh, for the fight um, because of its relationships and uh, through contracts and other partnerships with primarily big county agencies and or big agencies in the county. But I know agencies. I don't want you not to have those agencies. Yeah. But I'm saying that this comes up over and over again. Yeah. And go ahead. Yeah, it does come up over and over again. I mean, I think. That is the challenge, right? Is in and if I thought that LACBC was um, designed uh, and staffed for that kind of a fight, it would be a totally different organization. We would have to have uh, a whole different makeup um, in terms of our staffing. We'd need to have folks that could, uh, frankly, take those agencies to court mm-hmm. and sue them, mm-hmm. literally, for not for not fulfilling their promises to the community. That sounds great. Yeah, um, <laughs> we would have to change our, we'd have to think about our, our status as a 501c3, uh, maybe think about ourselves maybe as a 501c4 or a pack of some kind so that we could get the right, quote unquote, uh, not right, but the bicycle sort of friendly folks in office and actually start to uh, move in a more political way. Uh, those are the fights that I think you're describing, the, the fight to, to, to take folks to court and the fight to uh, get folks elected. But our status as a 501c3 and our makeup as a staff has really been, if you look throughout our history for the last 20 years, has really been about creating the proper invitation through education and outreach and um, advocacy to create the change that we seek. Um, And in my first six months, I've thought often about, well, maybe we should just redesign ourselves and actually bring in that sort of legal, those legal chops to identify the, the places where legal action is needed to get these things, to get things done. And, and, and um, 
Um, and so that would be a massive, not that we haven't been going through massive change, but that would be a massive change to the organization. Um, and it's something that would require um, a, strategic, a strategic planning process that I, I know that we are not near to going through right now. Um, like I said earlier, if we have an opportunity, if I have the opportunity and the organization has the opportunity to persist and, and, and continue to be a part of this ecosystem, then that may be something that we, we think about. But what I was writing to you earlier had to do with making an invitation. Um, and one of the things that we talked about really early on when I was interviewing for the position was how to create an advocacy that was calling people in versus calling people out. And looking at the sort of the effectiveness, the efficacy of uh, maintaining an adversarial stance with the different types of organizations that are in the, a part of this larger ecosystem that, needs, that we're in. We're just a part of a larger system. Um, what, would that, what would that look like for us, you know? Um, and I think, I think that uh, fights and wars are are massively expensive, and uh, um, you know, depending on who you talk to, like there's no winners in, in, in some of the worst fights that, that take place. Um, so I, I I wonder, and I, and once again, I I can't give you an answer, I, but I wonder if if that is the most um, sustainable and and uh, and best way to approach the work the other way instead of calling folks out it might be calling them in and by giving them an invitation to align their needs and values with the needs and values that we hold dear and to see where we share commonalities versus where we find differences um, and you're talking about a small community-based organization trying to elevate the conversation with massive bureaucracies and um, and so while there's new ways of raising awareness through social media and 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 and, and calling people out in, in multitudes of ways um, I think I'm, I'm thinking about long-term long-term successes and how to create trust so that we actually can you know, build that future that we're all looking for, for safer, healthier, more equitable streets. Um, and I, I just, I'm not convinced that fighting is the, is even the right approach. Yeah. I mean, well, what we need is probably a lot of things, but what keeps coming to my mind is a network of protected bike lanes that goes everywhere that you need to go. hundred percent. Yeah. So if you're backwards planning from that outcome, right. And you, as a teacher would, right? You've got your scope and sequence, you got your curriculum, and you think, okay, I want the skill set and I want this outcome. And if I backwards plan from outcome of, of more protected streets where um, we have proper space for each modality, then is a war how we're going to get there? Or is an invitation to create that future uh, by aligning values and by building trust through uh, really hard and honest conversations and also um, identifying specific projects that we can lean into together. You know, what is, what is the best, best path to that end? And I would say that there is a time and a place for a fight. 
I would say that you know I'm not afraid of the fight if it if it if that is the right uh, if that is the right approach. Uh, it's not that I'm a um, yeah I'm not against that just categorically. It just You're it not just a metaphorical pacifist. I'm not. Although I am actually a pacifist, and so I I I I I've, my instinct is not to go to blows. My instinct is to try to figure out a path forward together. Um, because I do believe that we are in this together and that we have to figure out how we can uh, create that better outcome for everyone. And the better uh, you do, the better I do. And the better I do, the better you do. And that has to do with whether I'm on a bike or if I'm walking or on a scooter or, frankly, even in a car. Mm-hmm. Although I really do think that cars are bad for people. And I wish that our, our region was built for people more than, than cars. Yeah, and not only are cars bad for people in so many ways, but the mentality of driving and needing everything to sort of be out of your way and for you to be able to go as fast as possible and for you not to back down from that unless somebody forces you, you know, that exists. And, like, you see that at on Venice Boulevard where they're trying to re- they tried to recall Bonin. They're having what you would think would be hard conversations, but they're coming away unchallenged. Yeah. I don't know what to do about that, do you? Uh, it, and it, and it's not just them. It's like the mentality of power, you know. It's like it's not gonna or habit. I think it's about habit. I think that folks, uh, you know, change is hard for everyone. And um, I mean, I'll be the first to admit that I, I w- I'm not a daily commuter. Uh, when I took when I rode my bike downtown in previous jobs, I took the 720 bus back because I was afraid to ride at dusk. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I actually just recently did a climate ride a couple months ago, or not even a month ago, mm-hmm. and I made a promise that I would commute. How was it? It was awesome. Yeah. And, I, and it was a great fundraising uh, opportunity for LACBC, and, and the whole staff participated for the first time, which was really cool. Yeah. And you, you want to get to know people, ride with them for a series of days uh, for, for those types of miles. It's, it's amazing. And one of the things I came back with is that as a life-changing experience was I'm in a bicycle commute at least twice a week and so since June which is not that long for, mm-hmm. for about a month I've been riding twice a week to work and, t- and taking the expo line from uh, from La Brea uh, down to where it's stopping uh, which is not quite downtown yet and, and uh, near Alley Trade Tech jumping off there and it's completely changed my connection to the work mm-hmm. in a way that you know I admit I didn't have when I started back in January and so um that question is much more personal to me. Like, how do we, how do we, how do we introduce this idea of commuting as a, uh, uh, like, an act of social justice, as an act of, of not only self-preservation and self, you know, of your own health and fitness, but as 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 thinking about the larger context and how um, one less by being one less car, you're you're one more uh, person who's 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 basically metaphorically fighting for a, a healthier safer environment for everybody so speaking of social justice there has also been that criticism in addition to the you know not being willing to fight the agencies that LACBC became in some cases like social justice became prioritized over bike advocacy and I'm sure you can show how it's a whole holistic ecosystem of things that need to be in place and everything but that is a perception that I've heard from multiple sources of from people who are not anti-social justice. Sure. And for you to talk about biking as being as you know in there 
you know, basically fighting to commute as a form of social justice, I can relate to. Um, but people, a lot of people would say that that's not, you can't really make that comparison. There's a couple ideas there. I don't know how you want to... Sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, you know, you start with yourself, I guess, is where, what I was trying to get at before. Um, uh, as you change your habits and as you change your routines, you change your level of consciousness and, and your connection to the work. That's really what I meant. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not paramount to um, being, uh, being putting equity at the center of what LACBC should be about. Um, for me, I think about outcomes. And I think that uh, if we create a more bikeable region through infrastructure and through programming and through education, it is a way of creating a more civil society or a more equitable society and I think um, I think that that there's an order to things um, and what I mean by that is there's an opportunity to um, make like real change in the way that people navigate the city which will result in a everything we're after, which is a safer, healthier, and more equitable place to exist. Um, uh, we were talking at the office the other day about like different types of campaigns we could do, and, and one thought we had was a billboard campaign, and, and an idea that came out of that was, um, and maybe someone else has already done this, so I'm not trying to take credit for this, if this already has been put out there, but is to have uh, two images, one of a, of a person on a tandem bicycle alone, and the other having a, a person in a car alone and have a, have a byline or a tagline that says, you know, which, which of these, which is more ridiculous, <laughs> you know, um, a person riding a tandem bike alone or a person driving in a, in a car with four or five other seats that are empty. Um, uh, both pretty ridiculous, but one certainly has a greater impact on our, on our whole society. And so I think that, I think that, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's just this, there's this opportunity for us to think about what our choices mean, not only for ourselves, but for the greater community. And that's what I think, that's what I love about being on a bike. It's, I feel, and I kind of, I guess I'm rambling on this question, but I just want to say this last, this, okay. okay, cool. <laughs> this last piece, which is that I never feel more connected to myself and to my community than when I'm on a bike. I'm vulnerable and I am, I am in the elements and I am aware of the temperature and of the, and of the air quality and of the quality of the street and the quality of the neighborhoods that I'm riding through. I'm more keenly aware of the people that I'm interacting with, um, the other types of modalities, buses, cars, pedestrians. Um, and um, it is literally a more heightened way of being. And so, um, and especially when you ride with someone like Colin or uh, or Arelli or Kevin from our office, when, when they're, they're out there communicating and connecting with people, um, and it's certainly if you ride with any other LCIs, it's the same sort of awareness of, of how you fit in with the rest of it that is just, it's just, uh, yeah, it makes you a better person. I don't know. It sounds... I listen to myself and think, ugh, that sounds almost like trite, 
but it's really how I feel. And I think it is making me a better leader and a more engaged person in general. Well, you know, when um, Mayor Viragosa was hit by a car, he put in all those miles of bike lane. Have you heard, have you heard that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, there is something about feeling vulnerable that activates people, you know, and somehow, like, they, something clicks in them. I've, you know, I've known at least one other person that's, several people, actually, who became activists because they got hit by a car. Yeah. And something about that opens people's eyes, I guess. Um, yeah, they didn't take that from me. I mean, I just, um, I'm fortunate, knock on wood, that, um, that I haven't really been in a serious uh, bike crash. Um, you know, I know there's even, I've learned that there's a distinction between crashes and accidents. And, uh, and, um, and I think that's because... Uh, Do you want to explain that? Yeah, well, a bike crash is, is, is uh, you know, technically, there's, there's an, an accident makes it sound like it's, there's, 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 no, there's less fault, right? A crash is more of a technical, these things happen, these two things collided, um, and it doesn't forgive any side of responsibility right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And, so, um, and so just even the, the nuance of the language um, undermines the rights of cyclists. And so um, just that awareness right there <laughs> about how powerful language is in our society and how it, um, frankly, uh, um, you know, takes the, the rights away of, of uh, members of our community who are not in cars is, is something that that's just it pushes your awareness. Um, but I, I lost what I was saying before. There was something about um, what was I saying? Um, you're going to edit this, right, or yeah. some form of it? Yeah. I, I'm amazingly going to take out the stuff that makes me sound dumb. Okay. Well. But I'll I'll let you listen to it, and you can see what makes you sound not like you'd like. Okay. Cool. No, I'm I'm cool with pretty much everything so far. I just uh, want to make sure I'm I'm making sense and I'm being yeah. useful. One thing you mentioned I'd like to uh, address is uh, you mentioned outcomes. Yeah. Do you have measurable outcomes that you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, so... I mean, I know it's kind of early on, though, so... Well, I mean, so, I, I was, as I was saying, yeah, I realized that it's early on. Um, well, one of the things I, I came here to talk about is is that we, I think, in this whole process of back-to-back-to-back-to-back EDs and all the folks that have come and gone over the most... in recent times, um, which has created this lack of coherence we were talking about before... You know, we've also, I think, lost contact and touch with our community, with uh, the bicyclists, with, uh, with active transportation folks in general. And so this Saturday on the 27th, we're, we're hosting a listening session, which we're calling Which Way LACBC, kind of um, tipping our hat to Which Way LA. Um, and but you're not recording it. No, we're not recording it. And Ironically. Well, yes. And the reason why is because we want folks to feel like they can speak their truth and not be um, and not feel like they have to edit themselves or monitor themselves. It's hard to sit down like this and 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 try to address tough questions um, with not easy answers. And we want to invite folks to struggle uh, with some of these hard questions and be honest and open about their responses and not worry about how they sound or whether or not it's going to implicate them in something. And so, um, and so, yeah, we made a choice not to record the uh, session itself, but we are going to be doing a 
survey. What's that? That's okay. I'm I'm just that's my own personal like I since I wanted to play it on bike talk, but I I totally understand. But um, tell me, you were saying this is one of this is related to measurable outcomes, some relate the community involvement. Yeah. So I mean, I think you know, um, I once heard that like if telling someone that you're going to be their advocate um, in general, whether it's for uh, something as amorphous as safety or as equity um, is hard for, it's just a hard thing for folks to plug into unless there's measurable outcomes, unless you, unless you point that at an end result that will change, change the reality, right? And so, um, you know, the beginning part of this is to is to is to listen carefully and is to um, in this listening session we're not going to be um, agreeing or disagreeing with folks we're going to just uh, literally absorb what folks have to share um, it's a chance for us even if it's an, an idea or a complaint that we agree with like vehemently we are really going to practice um, careful listening by just absorbing and uh, and asking people to either elaborate or unpack things further, but we're not gonna we're not designing this to be a, an affirmation or uh, or 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 uh, or to tell people that they're wrong or off base. Um, we just need the data, both qualitative and quantitative, to understand where people's priorities are, and so that we can then design uh, a work plan that will uh, uh, have measurable outcomes uh that 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 serve the needs that we that have been shared with us and and uh the first step in that is this what we're calling a discovery phase or a listening phase that we can understand um yeah the people's key priorities i think if you work in the advocacy space for long enough you feel like well i know i know what the city needs i I actually know what the community needs Uh, i've seen it i've ridden in those the streets myself um, and it's dangerous because you can sort of walk around thinking that you know what's best. And um, I think with what's left of LACBC, we recognize that we have a lot to learn and we have a lot to figure out and we need to um, take a step back and observe and listen carefully to where folks are coming from and what their priorities are and, and what their needs are. What if a lot of people don't come? Because sometimes I have events and then nobody comes. Are, are you going to... Are you going to be demoralized, or is that not going to happen? Have you have, do you know how to uh, have throw a a forum and have people come? Um, I've thrown forums before, but uh, to answer your first question, if people don't come, yeah, we'll be disappointed. Sure, we're we're committing a Saturday to this event. Uh, we're thinking through uh, honest and open questions that would allow people that don't have like easy answers, but that are really going to help us plumb the depths of the things that we are wondering about and concerned about. Um, we need that input. Uh, we don't want to make it up ourselves. We don't want to sort of, we're not, we're not trying to build the, the next chapter of LACBC on a hunch mm-hmm. or on our own best guess. So yeah, we would be disappointed, but also this type of interaction, this type of engagement is not a one-time thing. So I think it's a, it's a first step of uh, many, and it's, it's something that, you know, I think we're going to learn from this first one on the 27th. We're going to hopefully have a nice sample of people show up. We're going to also have a survey that we send um, either right before or right after. We're sort of figuring out what the best thing is, to be honest. Part of us feel, some of us feel like we need to send it on the way in to the event as a way of, uh, as part of the invitation so that folks who are less inclined to speak up out loud still are counted. Um, 
but some of us really feel like we're going to learn some things in this conversation that we want to put into the survey. And so it'd be best to actually send that survey out afterwards. So even in terms of like the design of the thing, we're, we're really following a, um, an approach that's, that's, that's asking hard questions each step of the way. Um, so the short answer is first of a series of listening sessions where we uh, not only force people to come downtown to our neck of the woods, but where we start to actually go back out into the community through our chapters and through um, what were our neighborhood uh, bicycle ambassador uh, NBA programs uh, or groups to uh, to start to get close to the folks that um, have been working in the space for a long time and the people who are who, who need to be a part of it moving forward. So how accountable is LACBC to its membership? I mean, like, who, who is it accountable to? Because you mentioned agreeing with people, right? And I'm sort of thinking, like, well, you, like, what else could you do? It's like, they, if, they're, if they're members, if your membership is saying, oops, uh, I mean, maybe that's not even the question I want to ask. But, like, who, like how accountable is, are you, is LACBC to its membership? Who is the membership? Have you thought about just making everybody on a bike a member and then you'd have a huge membership? Yeah. I mean, membership versus supporter, I think, is what you're asking. And that's that's a question that we are grappling with right now. I mean, I think, yeah, everyone who's on a bike or everyone who's even walking around or near bikes should consider membership because we're sharing these streets. We are a part of the larger, you know, as we've been saying, ecosystem that's out that that is the transportation network. Um, and so who are we accountable to? Well, the, the truth is we're accountable to our membership and to the larger community. And if they don't believe that we are making a contribution and that we are relevant as an organization and that we are making uh, an impact, a positive impact in their lives, then we will cease to, to be. And I think that's really what we're facing is that we have been, um, uh, we need to be more successful to justify our existence. And that's a hard thing for any executive director to say. Um, and, and frankly, if we don't meet the mark, then I'll be the first to say that, uh, that you know, some other instinct or some other organization needs to step up. Um, because the fact is, is that our streets are not safe enough for anyone. And that they're, uh, the health and social and environmental impact of our current way of navigating this region is broken and it's not good for anybody so if we're not hitting the mark yeah those are some severe words to 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 share but that's the proof's in the pudding if we don't attract the right kind of support because folks don't believe that we we are doing enough then uh, then then we won't be around and i feel like that's actually a really fair um that's a fair judgment on LACBC and where it's been. Now, my hope, obviously, is that we're going to um, we're going to show that we're making an impact and that we are pushing the needle to get um, to, to to achieve the values and the goals that we've set forth, and that we can create the a work plan that that we can track you know progress over time so that folks can start to feel like yeah this organization is is worth being a part of and worth supporting um colin said you've already done some things which he thought were good do you can you tell us what they are no i'm happy to hear that i mean i'm trying to remember his interview because i did listen to it a while back um i've made some hard choices 
you know, I think that um, uh, when I took on this responsibility of becoming this the next ED of, of the LA County Bicycle Coalition, um, I had to act quickly and decisively, and um, and I certainly wouldn't be sitting here today if I had made those choices uh, four months ago. There's no way. Just it's basic calcul basic math. We would be out of money. And so I feel good about that as hard as it was. What did you do? I had to lay off a few people. I had to downsize the office space. I've had to uh, cut every uh, cost center that exists and, uh, and seek new revenue centers, uh, uh, profit centers, so that we can, we can survive. Um, I've had to really rethink the board. And uh, as, as an ED, you know, I, I serve... Uh, they're my bosses and so it's been a, a process of understanding uh, their priorities and figuring out how um, to connect those priorities with the, the mission that we're, we're after and yeah we've been trying to attract the smartest most passionate most thoughtful most committed people we can to the board and we've we're very close to, to bringing on a number of new people which I'm really excited about but can't quite share because they haven't quite accepted the uh, the task at hand and it's a big lift the board is gonna have to work harder than it's ever worked before it's gonna have to be uh, more transparent than it's been before which is challenging for any any nonprofit or community-based organization um, so I feel good about the board development that's happened. I feel good about some of the, the, the painful choices to give us a, a little bit more time to, to, um, to regain our traction as an organization. And all those things I feel bad about, too. I feel bad about the livelihoods that I've, in, I've, I've had to impact um, by having to, to make those hard choices. Um, I try to do it with as much integrity as I could. Um, I feel like in some, in some cases I hit the mark, and in some places... Uh, I didn't. And, um, you know, I wish I, I was smarter, faster, better than I am, but I, I've made each choice with as much thoughtfulness as I w was able to make them. What is the vision and mission of LACBC? The current vision really is about creating safer, more equitable, and healthier streets for everyone. Um, I mean, we have, a, we have a very finely tuned uh, mission statement on our website, but that's essentially it. Uh, safety, meaning that people can navigate the city without fear of injury or death. Um, health, that we can actually, and, and health is, is about the environment. Health is about uh, a level of uh, self-awareness and fitness that will, will lead to a, a better existence. And, uh, and equity really talks about, um, you know, creating a, a community that really takes care of all its members. And, and make sure that everyone's included in, a, uh, in the opportunity to live safe, healthy lives. Um, that it's not just reserved for those in certain zip codes uh, that are more fortunate than folks who are, happen to be in other zip codes. That, that it's, it's not good enough just to, just to provide those first two values to a certain group of people, but that it really needs to be the priority um, for the greater good, for the greater whole. Um, and so... And so what, what we're missing, I don't think the vision or the mission is, is really that far off. I mean, I think it can be refined like anything, and we're going to be looking at that. But it's more about how we operationalize that. 
that's been less clear. Do we do it through infrastructure? Do we do it through programming? Do we do it through hardcore advocacy? Do we become a fighting group that actually takes people to court? I mean, I think these are the, in a way, that's what's really exciting about this opportunity, right? It's, it's a chance to really think about what is the right approach to these things and, um, and to try to remain open as you, as, you know, in, the vision doesn't change, but the way we operationalize it, there's a different season, there's a different, there's a different tool for each, uh, for, each, uh, for each moment in history, right? And so right now, we have to decide how we operationalize this um, and there's a lot of talk about, well, we need to identify certain actual projects so we just get more bike lanes out there. And that will then create the context or the space for the culture to grow. Um, there's other opinions that we've, uh, that I've, we've been entertaining and, and, and we've been thinking about that have to do with, well, you have to build the culture first. And the value system will then demand that the infrastructure comes. And I think there's, I think you, you could run that logic either way and, and there's probably good arguments for each way. Are they mutually exclusive? No, I don't think they are. But um, not at all. I think that, you know, once again... Uh, instead of pitting those two perspectives against each other in some sort of adversarial competition, um, I don't think they cannibalize each other. I think they're 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 two sides of the same coin, and we need to figure out how to how to create that balance. And I think it's the similar sort of philosophy uh, or whatever theory of change, rather than um, calling each side out. How do we call? How do we how do we align those things so that they actually become mutually beneficial? towards that outcome that we're looking for, which is safer, healthier streets. Um, I'm going to mix these questions up. Uh, sure. well, are you going to restart fun Sunday Funday? Are we going to restart Sunday Funday? Sunday Funday was actually one of the first things I did with Asa. That's my, that's my son mm-hmm. as well. Um, which are great community rides, which are curated rides, supported rides, which means that we've had, we have bike marshals and, and, uh, and we've planned out these routes that they're the safest and most fun routes to ride. And it, it, it's a, I think it, it, the instinct of Sunday Fun Days and Operation Firefly and a number of these programs are all right on the money. Um, but that said, none of them are underwritten. <laughs> There's underwritten, no, they're not paid for. They're not paid for, yeah. And, and, uh, and so we are in a position every year to find, to fundraise. Um, and, you know for those types of programs we really need to make sure that there's there's proper sponsorship partnership to actually afford those things um we've been focusing a lot on our metro best rides of late because we want to make sure that we maximize that contract to cover our costs um which seems really obvious when you say it like that but actually for a group of bicycle advocates who work at lacbc you know these folks you know they're used to just doing these things because it's the right thing to do mm. it's my job as the executive director to figure out how to balance the budget and uh, make sure that we are properly resourcing these events which means that they're underwritten and so we're we're looking at every one of those things like Sunday Funday specifically to make sure that we find uh, the right partner to, to, to fund those things so in which way LACBC there's going to be a lot of people saying some of the criticisms I've already said. Sure. I'm, I guess you've heard all of them already, probably, most of them. I don't know. I would never presume that I've heard everything. Um, that's what, I mean, it would be really uninteresting if I walked in and I had sort of pre-thought everything that's coming our way. 
Um, so yeah, I don't think I've heard everything, um, and I and I also understand what the stakes are. That you know, this is a twenty year old organization that a lot of good folks have invested in deeply, both in terms of uh, their time as staff members and in terms of their resources as supporters and members and donors. You know, my hope is that folks sort of protect their investment, come out and and uh, and and give us their two cents and. Um, and for a lot of these folks, although I've done a lot of meetings around town and I've met with a ton of folks, like I still haven't met with nearly everyone. Um, a lot of folks I haven't, who I, I, you know, how could you have not met with this person? And you get that list is, is longer than I care to share, but it's long. It's, well, LA is a big place. And um, for the, you know, for the meetings that I have been able to, to sit in like every time I meet with someone there's six other people they're like how could you not have met that person yet what are you doing up there um so this is a chance to get some of those folks out too I hope that I've never met and I'm sure there'll be folks there who I have met who have also expressed uh deep concern and hope both so I hope it's a fairly balanced conversation uh that said um it's not for me or the staff to decide that's really the key thing it's it's we're not there with an agenda. We're not going to be. Um, we have a, a series of open-ended questions that we want to we want to engage folks with. Um, I'm going to share kind of like my honest read on where LACBC is and how it got here, which I think is different than a lot of these sort of charrettes or these community meetings, listening sessions. Is they say, okay, come on out and like tell us your best ideas and tell us what we're doing right and also tell us what we're doing wrong. Um, all right, ready, go. I think in order for folks to to feel like they uh, that we've earned that, you know, we need to we need to also own where we are, and so um, to the extent that it's productive, I'll share exactly what I've shared here today. You know, the lack of uh, coherent or inconsistent leadership, um, some uh, the fact that this organization needs to professionalize while still maintaining its uh, its sort of roots in the in the grassroots. All these tensions that we're struggling with and grappling with that we have not figured out um, and that the proof's in the pudding. Like if we were doing it right, we would be in a much better financial state and we'd be in a much better impact. We'd be making a much better, more meaningful impact than we are right now. And so we got to own that. We're, we're not killing it. And um, before we start to like decide in some sort of prescriptive way that, you know, these are the next section steps and just like, you know, check the box that you're going to tell us like your ideas. Then we sort of like claim them as our own. Um, the first step is, is to build trust by saying, yeah, this is where we are. And there's a little section in the program where I'm going to share that. It's going to be somewhat similar to what we talked about today. And then, and then, and hopefully folks will be like, yeah, that sounds like he's not, um, that he's, he's, uh, laying it out there. Um, and not making excuses and not, uh, and not sugarcoating things and also not being, like uh, hopeless about it I have a lot of hope about this I also recognize that LACBC is at a, an important inflection moment where either we're going to start getting it right more often or once again going to have a hard time justifying our existence moving forward Who do you like other cities other uh, other organizations that for cycling for bike advocacy Oh, I mean, 
I mean, there's so many cool things that are going on that I'm just learning about it in terms of just cities. I'm from the Bay Area originally, so, um, you know, SF Bike is on the West Coast, one of the big grandmothers or grandfathers, depending on how you see them. Um, So seeing the, hey, look, successes and, and challenges, failures that they've endured, and but generally speaking, seeing how they're building power and actually uh, getting better um, as they go overall um, is really inspiring to me. Um, um, I've spent some time on the phone with Ed France at Santa Barbara uh, uh, Bike Coalition, and you know, Ed's the second longest uh, tenured uh, ED. Um, I actually don't even know who the first person is, but I know Ed said, you know, I've been here for a really long time, and that longevity, I think, has really benefited that uh, that region. Um, and if you go to UCSB and the, uh, the environment around there, there's just the bike infrastructure is pretty outstanding. Um, now it's a completely different community with different resources and different needs and different you know opportunities and challenges. Obviously, it's a totally different scene, but um, something is working there generally, and. Uh, you know, I wouldn't sit here and give that coalition total credit, but there's something that is overall working, it feels like, from an outside perspective. And then just the all the connectivity, all the lanes that have been built in New York City, in Manhattan specifically, just the, in the five boroughs, and how um, when I lived there in the 90s, and I see the, the infrastructure that's gone in since I left, both in terms of public open space, green space, uh, bike lanes, uh, and pedestrian spaces, it's just a completely different place than what it was um, back in the 90s when I was there. Um, so I take inspiration from all those places and also places from around. I'm half Japanese, so I've been to, uh, you know, that's a bike. Tokyo is a bike city. Um, everybody rides bikes and, and they're, they're metro. And um, it's not... It, it's at the same time, you know, the modernity and the, and the sort of tradition um, ended up with a different result there. And, um, and so, yeah, it's a different... It, it, there's something to learn from there as well. What is it like there? I mean, Tokyo is fascinating because you have parts of it that are, like, super urban um, and neon and, like... Shinjuku and like places that are just like I don't know the future and then you know within three miles there's you know still small neighborhood gardens and temples and uh, and and throughout all that there are people on bikes and riding the metro Um, it's just grown up in a way that maybe because it's such an impacted space that they just uh, single car occupancy just wasn't really an option um, as much, although I, I know that the that there are definitely forces that would like it to be. Sometimes when you're limited by space, you have to be more creative and thoughtful about how you get around. These forces you speak of, what is <laughs> what are they? Forces. I mean, uh, I think we have them here. Yeah, I mean, there are certain groups that um, there are certain instincts that profit from uh, folks being in cars. I don't share their company generally, so I, you know, and I, and I, and I think that, um, yeah, I think that they, that certainly in the history of Los Angeles, there were important inflection moments where 
the culture could have gone a very different way than it did with the red car uh, being sort of eviscerated with the rise of suburbia and the sprawl of the city to the burbs, um, which required folks to travel greater distances um, with the with this sort of idea of the of of the two car garage sort of like American dream. I think that was a, a marketing. Those were mar- very powerful marketing campaigns that resonated with people, and so they bought it. What we're learning is that the traffic that we sit in, the air that we breathe, the lack of activity that we give ourselves, uh, the lack of connectivity to our neighborhoods is really bad for us. I was thinking about, like, I just drove up Highway 5 recently to, and from the Bay Area to go home, and there are these car towns that litter the side of, uh, litter is the wrong word, but that are placed along the side of Highway 5, which is a straight car shot, right? Yeah. Um, car towns? What I mean is these these are these these villages that are built for cars, okay. really explicitly for cars. There are no sidewalks. There's no open space. There's no park space. Everything is a drive-through. Whether you're getting your coffee or fast food, uh, the motels have the parking space right in front of the front door, so you don't actually. There's the least amount of time you have to spend outdoors, right? From like get out of your car, get into your hotel room, close the door, turn on the AC and the TV, and that's sort of like the whole thing is built for cars. And if I, I'd love to do a, I'd love to do a comparison between those car towns and a bike town, right? where uh, the entire orientation is around you know, active transportation, walking around, uh, and you see flower beds, and suddenly you see sidewalks for people. There's no sidewalks in these car towns. And you see uh, places for people to congregate, and you see uh, different types of programming, activities, uh, people playing chess, music. Um, and the, you look at the, lit- the facades of the buildings themselves are more friendly and have more windows and are more inviting, and there's just more openness to those spaces Mm -hmm. and so if you were to sort of pick any of these sort of places that have benefited from bike infrastructure like like, I mean Amsterdam parts of Manhattan parts of Portland Oregon has some great stuff Um, yeah I mean Long Beach is yeah Long Beach is 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 another great example Um, LA do we have little nooks yeah I think we do I think there are a series of these little fiefdoms in LA and each and many of them have main streets that that I think with bike infrastructure could be could be re the word revitalized is is a loaded term now so but literally if you were to use that term technically that would breathe that would revitalize those spaces with life LA County is too big to really think about even almost I mean like meaningfully strategically yeah like maybe you have to think about it as like well we can't save you know one of these places that you're these car town parts of LA but maybe we can you know do connect two of these bike parts of LA Um, yeah I mean I think that if you look at towns like Philly you know they have their whole rail to trails uh, that's another town that's that's created some successful rail to trail um, uh, infrastructure and and what you see there is is all these benefits that we're talking about if you look at um but they have these sort of trail towns that have popped up alongside these bike paths there's this instinct to service the people that are moving you know you you create a a a thoroughfare of people on bikes or uh, on foot and you know we're industrious beings will find a way of 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 what they need we'll find a way of supporting what they need and so uh, 
kind of like figuring out what the equivalent of a trail town would be in Los Angeles is, I think, a fun thing to think about. I don't know the answer I, 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 because we're so addicted or we're so connected to our cars and we're so trapped by them. Like, you know, car ownership, it's sort of, you know, you're not, you don't own a car, your car owns you because yeah. you've got to pay the insurance, you've got to pay the payments, you've got to figure out where to park it, you've got to put, you know, f- you know, fuel into it. I mean, it's, it's interesting what, what a car, whereas bike ownership is really, it's a much more symbiotic type thing. You, you, you're, you're, you are self-powering, you know, you are, it's a human-powered, human, human-adjusted thing. I mean, there are bike mechanics, and I definitely am not a bike mechanic, and so when something seriously goes wrong with my bike, I need to take it in. But generally speaking, I can inflate my tires, and I can, I can make the, the subtle changes that'll make it a more rideable experience. I wouldn't even know where to begin with a car. It's just different. Yeah, I think that approaching L.A. County as a whole, um, which is in our title, is that just in the title, really? I mean, you're not worried about Valencia, are you? <laughs> I mean, we, in our charter, we are considered, we, we consider all 88 cities. Yeah, we okay. think about, we try to think about the whole thing. I, I think, probably shouldn't have said that. I don't know, because I, I thought of Valencia when you said car town, just because like, when I drove, it's by the grapevine, I'm always in a car when I get there. Yeah, yeah, but if you look at Pacoima and some of these towns that are sort of on the edge, I mean, there's 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 a definite instinct to get around locally on a bicycle. There are people who live there. They deserve bike infrastructure. They deserve a safe route to wherever they're going. They deserve outside time, for sure. I mean, what you're talking about is like uh, more about like what is the most productive way of approaching the work? Should we do it at scale and try to think about it as a holistic ecosystem or should we think about it as individual smaller pieces that we then scale to that size? And I think that's as that's part of the discussion that we're in. Just like should we be uh, a fight organization or should we be making an invitation to bring people into the fold? Uh, is what's more quote unquote profitable to the mission? And I said this to the staff when I first started. There's nothing that feels sacred to me about um, about what LACBC has been in the past. And um, and I don't come to this work with an agenda, uh, with a, with a, I know what the right thing is, and uh, I know that might be dissatisfying to some folks, but I also uh, believe that whatever path we take in this next chapter will be driven by um, honest and open inquiry and a thoughtful uh, synthesis of those ideas to create a better work plan that will be measurable as we go through uh, creating the impact that we that we're here to create what about getting more people on bikes is that not a a good metric it's funny like uh one of the new board members that we've been talking to said you know what's your what are your goals to increase then you know and what are the bike ped scooter now counts you know telling you what kind of data are you looking at um and who's collecting that data who's responsible is it ladot is it uh you guys yeah is it is it our responsibility you have have we have done in the past yeah without, once again, a lot of support from those agencies that then use that data, Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, as the person who's defending uh, the budget and the and the resources of the organization seems highly unfair. I just have to say that. But um, but yeah, but you're also pushing for them to to use that data. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But you didn't they'd be they might be fine without it. Well, I don't think they'd be fine without it. I mean, look, I mean, they would we we have to 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 start to 
we have to start approaching the work uh, from a more data-driven perspective. And, and data is valuable. So it shouldn't just be, if it's valuable enough to inform policy and inform how we do the work, then it, it's, it's valuable enough to pay for. And we need to make a better case for uh, those agencies to recognize that if we're going to make that investment, that, that they, they, need us, they need to properly resource it. And I think that's, that's once again part of the invitation instead of the, instead of the fight the invitation to those those agencies to sit down at the table with us and, and for us to say, how do we how do we justify the work that we're doing? How do we measure whether we're making an impact? Um, wouldn't it be more uh, productive if we were able to look at the hard numbers and, and, and make a case for whatever projects, programs, um, and advocacy that we're going to be doing? Like that's 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 what this whole listening session on the twenty seventh is the beginning of. How about uh, your chapters? I also want to talk about that. Yeah, we have 13 chapters. Other than the fact that there needed to be a leader in those communities who decided that they wanted to uh, incorporate or create a chapter, there hasn't been a strategic plan, like a, a rhyme or reason, for how we would build a chapter system. It really has been dependent on an individual stepping up and saying, this is not acceptable for my community. I'm going to, and looking around and figuring out, how do I build power? as the mothership or as the convener of those chapters, I really think LACBC coming into this moment is, has not maximized the power or the, the potential of those chapters nearly as much as they could be. Um, For example, are you having them come to this meeting on Saturday? Yeah, we've invited them through the chapter leaders who are part of our board. We have three um, board members who are part of our, who, who have a deep association with chapters. You want to say who they are? Or? Sure, okay. sure. Kevin Burton from yeah. West Hollywood, uh-huh. uh, Kevin Shin uh, from Walk Bike Long Beach, uh-huh. and Daniela Sedo, who's from uh, Pomona, Pomona, right? I, she's not as tightly affiliated with her chapter. She's not the leader any longer, but Kevin and Kevin are both leaders. And so, um, yeah, so I'm really actually excited that we, when I started, we had two chapter leaders who were part of our board. Now we have three. So that's a good, good thing. Um, and they would agree, I think, that we, we haven't provided enough value to them and um, haven't been coordinated enough in building power in those local communities as we could be. Um, and we've also, they've also not been able to, uh, yeah, I think we've, we haven't been a, a good value proposition as good as it should be either way. But once again, I'm like, I hear myself and I say, okay, the chapters need to be fixed. The organization needs to be professionalized. We don't have proper metrics or goals in place. Um, while our overall mission is good, we haven't figured out how to operationalize. I mean, it sounds like, well, what are they doing? The truth is that we, we have a lot to get right. We have a lot, to work, we have a lot of work to do to, to, make, to make ourselves as valuable and as relevant as we need to be. And so there are moments where it's overwhelming. And I sit here and I think, gosh, you know, I, where to begin? Um, so, like I said, the first steps were to uh, t- to stop the hemorrhaging in terms of our our budget and and uh, and to start to identify new revenue sources just to stay alive. The second piece was to bring in new blood to the board. I mean, it was just too much to ask of nine people. We we, we have a charter that allows us to have up to seventeen folks on the board, and so it's too much of a load to ask of volunteer folks to do that, um, to not only fundraise but also to to be. Um, the keepers of the vision and, and, to, and to be a part of uh, pushing us forward that way as well. And so 
so now we begin the process of reconnecting with the community and then starting to, to build this plan that I've been talking about. The thing is, is that I hope I'm around long enough and we're long around enough for us to have a conversation in three to six months where I can start to actually lay out some of the specifics of this thing. I think it's premature, um, understanding where we are currently and, uh, and, and I'm not into like making up stuff right now. I'm just, I'm just not there yet. We're not there yet. Well, thanks for coming out. I probably could pull out a few more questions, but I think you've you've been uh, good with the you, you've put in a lot this session, and uh, maybe three to six months we can have you on again. I would love that. And let's say, regardless of whatever happens, I it, you know, as somebody who has learned a tremendous amount and and will learn a tremendous amount more, um, you know, I'd love to I'd love to continue the conversation. Thanks for having me. Um, for those of you who are listening, it's this Saturday, um, July 27th, at our at our offices uh, in the Edison room downstairs. We've put out some announcements, so go to our website for the specifics. And really, everyone is invited. Anybody who's been, uh, who has an opinion, or even folks who are trying to form an opinion, um, uh, not only about LACBC, but about just bicycling and just how to navigate the city. Um, I'd love to see some car people come out and just sort of talk about their experience with bicycles and other modalities um but certainly if you're on a bike ever in los angeles any part come out this saturday the 27th and and join the conversation eli and lacbc are urging you to go to their forum this saturday which way lacbc to talk about the direction of their organization they have lunch and lacbc merchandise so don't miss this opportunity to help shape the future of lacbc Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 